Pastor Jeremy's got a good message to share with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, and Lisa, thanks for reading today. When I was hearing you go through that uh, gospel text, my favorite part in that is when Jesus is there on the shore. It's the resurrected Jesus. The disciples are all out fishing, and he tells them, come and have breakfast, is what he tells them. Think about that. I hope those are God's first words to me when I show up in heaven. <laughs> Jeremy, come and have breakfast. Uh, that's a, a good point for us to begin on today because that's the same invitation that the Lord provides for us today. He says, come and let me feed you. Come and feast on what I have to be able to provide. Uh, I want to give you my love today. I want to give you my forgiveness, and I really want to give you my word. So blessings today upon you and upon myself as we have this time to be able to look at God's message for the day. So we're in the series right now called All In. Uh, Pastor Mark did a really good job uh, last week kicking it off for us when we started with the concept of heart. What does that mean to be all in with our heart? Today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to move on to the second one, talking about being all in with our soul. This one's a little bit more difficult for me. Because if I told you to be able to share uh, maybe with somebody what, their, uh, what your heart is, maybe you could describe that a little bit. This is, this is my heart. If I asked you to describe your mind to tell somebody exactly what that means, maybe you could say, yeah, I could share a little bit about my mind. What about your strength? We could talk a little bit about what our, our strengths are. But your soul, what is that? Think about that with me this morning. How would you describe that to somebody around you? What is your soul, and what does it mean to love God with all of your soul? There was an attorney who lived in the uh, mid-19th century whose name is Horatio Safford, and uh, he was an individual who, for uh, lack of a better description, uh, just had some really bad luck in his life. Some really bad things happened to him. If you don't know his story, uh, he's an individual who had uh, five children he was blessed with. Uh, he had one little boy that, unfortunately, at the age of four, died. He lost him really, really early on. Uh, a few years later, uh, his firm and his practice was completely destroyed in the great Chicago fire. Uh, he lost basically everything that he had, uh, especially financially. He decided he was going to start some new business ventures over in Europe, so he sent his wife and his four daughters to Europe on ahead of him so he could wrap up uh, things in America. And as he did that, and they sailed across the ocean, their ship sank, and all four of his daughters drowned. He left immediately to go over and be with his wife and to be able to console her. And on his way there, uh, on his journey, he wrote that song for us, Peace Like a River, It Is Well With My Soul. I have a hard time understanding how he wrote that in that moment. After that, that great loss in so many different ways, especially of just life, his own kin. But in some manner, he's able to be able to say that. All is, is well with my soul. Now, this doesn't mean that he didn't grieve tremendously. 
doesn't ma- mean that he, he probably didn't have just countless nights of losing sleep, of just tremendous pain of not having his children anymore. But what it does mean is there's something that the Lord gave to him that allowed him to find at least a small amount of blessing in his soul. I hope we can find that today too. That word soul in our world today is used in a lot of different ways. Uh, Maybe you've heard it used uh, like this before. You say, you know what, these two people are soulmates. They're, they're made for each other. We see that in this young couple that's going to get married, and we think they're perfect for each other. God has knit them together. They are, they are soulmates. Maybe we say it for a type of uh, music, right? You say you might like soul music. James Brown is the godfather of soul, right? Yeah, soul music. Uh, I remember a movie back that had soul in its title with Bethany Hamilton. Maybe you saw this movie, Soul Surfer. Uh, that was an interesting movie. Uh, or maybe like me, again, you're always just thinking about food, and so you're thinking about soul food. So that, there's all different types of soul that we have in our, our world. Uh, but what does it mean in Scripture for our soul? We use this word in a lot of different ways. What does it mean? This is a difficult one. So if you look at the uh, actual Hebrew text, it describes the breath of life that God gives to us. This breath that God has placed inside of each of us. And if you look in the Greek, it talks about your inner person. Really, your soul is that is your, your inner person. And so placing these things together, it's really the, the core of who you are, of who God created you to be. It's our soul that joins together all these other things that we're going to talk about in this series. Our heart, our mind, and our strength. They're all brought together by the soul. And this is what makes you up. And this is what, at its core, uh, decides what it's going to be able to do, to be able to serve ourselves, or again, in this series, to be able to serve God with everything that we are, our complete soul, and to be able to be at peace with that. And so when we came up with this series, we came up with this concept of being all in with all of these things. Again, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And so what does it mean to be all in with our soul? I just couldn't get it out of my mind this week when I saw that series title. All I can think about when somebody says those words all in, there's got to be somebody else in this room that's like me. All you can think about is like pushing the chips in, right? Whoops. Like being all in, right? That's what I think about. It's like this concept of somebody playing a card game and putting all their chips in. Because what happens during this, this moment? When somebody is all in, they have nothing left. They don't have a stack of chips. They don't have a chip. They have invested everything they have. And so I want us to think about that today in the context of our scripture, of us not holding back nothing, but being able to push forth everything in our soul to be able to serve the Lord. Uh, So I'm going to try something different today. It worked super good in the first service. The people loved it, so I hope you love it as much as they do. Uh, We're going to go through our epistle text today, and we're going to do it like we are playing a hand of Texas Hold'em together. So you ready? That does not sound like you are ready. You guys ready to play? Don't worry. I'm not going to take any of your money. That's the best thing. Trust me. Trust me. All right, here we go. So if you've never played this game before, the first thing that happens is you sit down around the table. Everybody gets two cards dealt out to them. These two cards are face down. 
Nobody at the table can see them except for you. You can't trade your cards back in. You can't ask for one more. Everybody gets the exact same amount. You get two and only two. You can't trade them in. Only you can see them. Think about this as we start like our lives. Every one of you has dealt a hand. Every one of you, one that you can't turn back in, one that you can't trade, and it's the exact same thing for Saul in our story today. At some point, he was given a hand, one that he can't necessarily change in some specific way, one that's individual to him, just as yours is individual to you, and one that the Lord says, play. This is the hand I have given to you, and it's time to be able to play. Think about that as we go through our text today. It begins with that first word in chapter 9, meanwhile. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is the very beginning of chapter 9. Uh, when it starts out with that word meanwhile, it's referring back to the chapters that have happened right before this. So in chapter 7, uh, we see Saul standing uh, there. Is Stephen is stoned, is one of the Christian martyrs, is put to death, and Saul is okay with that. He allows it to happen. We move forward to chapter 8. Meanwhile, Saul, at this point, is now pulling people out of their homes, men, women, children, and he's imprisoning them. And then we move forward now to chapter 9, and he keeps escalating more and more and more. And now he's breathing out these murderous threats against people, not just being able to ostracize them, not just imprison them, but potentially put these individuals, these Christians, to death for what they believe. Our text goes on. As I thought about this, though, I started thinking, why would Saul do that? Why would he actually do that? It doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. But sure enough, uh, I think it explains it as we move forward in chapter 26. These are Paul's words. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Have you ever seen somebody that is just obsessed with something before? I'm not talking about they like something. I'm talking about there's, a, there's an obsession for something. Maybe it's a, a person that somebody could be obsessed with. Maybe it's a, a sports team somebody is obsessed with? Maybe it's an addiction that somebody is obsessed with, and they're convinced. They're convinced that if they just go after it enough that somehow they're going to be able to get relief, that they're going to be able to find peace, that they're going to be able to find joy, but it never comes. Are people who are obsessed with something rational? No. Are, are people who are obsessed with something people who are dependable? No. They're focused on one thing and one thing only. And this is the story of Saul. All as he is focused on is going after these Christians. For some reason in his life, the hand that was given to him, he is convinced that God is no good whatsoever or that God doesn't even exist. And so he pushes and pushes and pushes against all of the Christians, all those who support the Lord. He's not the only one that's, that's there today. As we move along uh, in our series, we see that the next uh, group of cards comes. 
Again, if you've ever played this game before, you have your two cards, and now three more cards are laid on the table. These cards are different. They're called community cards, and it's so everyone can see. These cards are both my cards and they're your cards. At the end of the game, we have to make our best five-card hand, and now we're hoping that these cards are going to be able to help us and everybody who's sitting around the table. So let's just look at the other individuals that are sitting there playing in the game today. We already talked about Saul, but seated right there next to Saul is an interesting individual. Jesus comes and he appears in the game today. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, remember, as this bright light comes down from heaven. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. If you ever have watched poker before, uh, there's a lot of individuals who have nicknames that they go by. There's all different types types of nicknames. Uh, There's a guy that calls himself Kid Poker. There's a guy that calls himself The Grinder. There's a guy that calls himself the Robin Hood of poker. He literally gives away all of his winnings to charity. It's super awesome. Uh, But with that, uh, all of these people have a nickname based off of maybe how they play. Maybe it's based off of how they look. And today, in our text, Jesus seems to acquire this nickname. Now, he could have had any nickname he wanted to. It could have been Lord of Lords. It could have been King of Kings. It could have been your Lord and Savior, and all of those would have been so fitting. But he picks the one who is being persecuted as his name. He actually says it twice in this reading. Saul, again, I am the one who is being persecuted, whom you are persecuting. Sometimes we think of Christ, especially in his risen form, of being a God that's in heaven that's just waiting for us. But today, both in our gospel text And in our book of Acts, we see that Jesus is here with his disciples still. And the story hasn't changed. He is here with us still. Jesus doesn't go off and disappear and not care about us anymore. He is here with us, both in the times to be able to celebrate and especially in the times when we are hurting, when we are mourning, maybe when we're being persecuted for something. God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, here on this earth for you and for me. Let's keep going. We go around the table, and it says in the text that there are these other men that are traveling with Saul, and they stand there speechless. They hear the sound, but they did not see anyone. As we pass those men, we come to our man in the final seat. His name is Ananias. So there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a mall man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Ananias isn't so sure about this. Again, uh, if you play poker at all, or even if you don't, you've probably heard this term before of bluffing. When somebody is trying to represent something that they don't actually have. And it seems today that Ananias thinks that God is bluffing. God, I know this man, Saul. I've heard all the stories. Trust me, you don't want to pick him as your disciple. Trust me, you want nothing to do 
with this individual. This guy should not be on your team. You should not be sitting next to him. You shouldn't be at the same table as him. Let's not even say his name. But God says, no, I am not bluffing. We need to remember that too. I assume there's a time in your life when you would probably think, God, that's, that's not right. God, that's not the, the best thing. But who do you think knows better? Saul or God? Ananias or God? You or God? One who never bluffs. And so the Lord commands him, go, he says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Go, he says, this is something that I have in my plan. Don't worry about everybody else's hand. Play your own hand. This is what I'm going to do. This is part of what I see coming in the future. Are we always trusting in God? All of us are looking at that table, and it changes. Another card comes. This card is referred to sometimes as being uh, the fourth street. Sometimes it's referred to as being the turn. And it's said by tradition that it's called the turn because sometimes the tide can, can turn quickly when this fourth card comes. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens in our story for today. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, uh, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. What a turn. Think about this turn. This individual is coming into town to be able to imprison and persecute with murderous thoughts and breath, to be able to put to death Christians. And all of a sudden, this is the one now being described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. He can see again, and he is baptized. This complete 180 happens there. This is exactly what should happen with you and I when we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts as well. Whenever we come face to face with sin, we should hit that turn and do a complete about face. Whenever we come face to face with those temptations, we should do a complete about face and go the other way. We should make that turn. And this is what happens with the life of Saul. The best part about this is it doesn't matter now anything in his past that he has done wrong. Any of the sins that he has committed, any of the things that he has thought about, that he has done, and it's the same with me and with you. All those things in our past disappear because of what God has done for us. A complete turn of events. Finally, in this game, there's one more card that comes. It's the fifth card. It's the last card. It's called the river. And it's this card that gets laid down that you'll see some people at the table that they've been chasing a hand the whole time and they realize they're not going to get it. And there's somebody else at the table that maybe they thought they didn't have a chance and all of a sudden, maybe things are looking up for them. What happens in our text for today? So that once he began, this is Saul, to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. If you've never seen it before, it's, it's crazy. When that last card comes, uh, everything can change. If there is a, a 1% chance, a one-card opportunity that somebody can catch something, sometimes people just, they, they can't believe it. I've seen people stand up from the table on the professional tour and take their microphone off, pick their backpack up, grab their jacket, and start walking off the stage, and all of a sudden, there it is. The right card at the right time and the right place that changes everything. The people who lose can't believe that they've lost. The people who win can't believe that they've won. And the people who are the spectators do exactly what our spectators do in our text for today. They're astonished. They're baffled. They can't believe what they see in Saul. There's no way that this is the exact same individual who is doing all of those bad things that is now preaching. It's a complete 180, a complete turn that has happened. But that's what happens when Jesus enters into the lives of his children. The devil thought that he was going to win. And when that final card came down at the right time, at the right place, on the right day, on the right cross, the devil went from thinking he was going to win to losing. And people like Saul and people like you and me that maybe thought we were going to take a loss realize that we've taken a huge win. We're astonished. We're baffled. It's an amazing story that we get to look at today of a person that has gone completely all in. But don't mistake the account of Acts 9 for being the story of Saul. You see, the story of Acts 9 is actually the story of our Savior. It's the story of the ultimate king of our hearts that comes directly for you and for me to lay down his perfect hands so that we can be here today and tell others and sing about and be at peace and know that it is well with our soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today and to be able to see this story of Saul, whom you change into a life and give him that new name, Paul. Lord, for all of us here today, uh, we ask that you will continue to be able to change us and shape us into your disciples, that you will allow us to be able to know of your love, to be immediately changed, to turn from our sin, and to be able to know the win that you have on our behalf. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and ask that you will again continue to be able to stimulate, stimulate us, that we will be able to go all in with our soul, our mind, our strength, and our heart just for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.